Welcome to A-Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show we dissect and discuss prominent crashes in aviation history. I'm your host, Zonaka Kai, and in today's episode, we are going to be discussing the impossible landing United Airlines Flight 232. If you're listening to us on YouTube, do not forget to like and subscribe. And if you're listening to us on a podcast listening platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, then do not forget to follow us and give us the highest rating you can. But without wasting any more of your time, let us get into it. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, Good morning, we have a smoke problem. And we're doing emergency descent to level 150. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland in what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. United Airlines Flight 232 was a scheduled flight for the 19th of July, 1989. This flight was from Stapleton International Airport, Denver, Colorado, and its destination was Philadelphia International Airport, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This flight had a stopover at O'Hare International Airport, Chicago, Illinois. The airplane that was used was the McDonnell Douglas DC-10. The call sign for United Airlines Flight 232 was United 232 Heavy. The crew. The captain of this flight was Alfred Haynes, who was 57 years old. He was employed by United Airlines on the 23rd of February, 1956. Captain Haynes could fly both the DC-10 and B-727. In total, Captain Haynes obtained 29,967 flight hours with 7,190 flight hours on the DC-10. His recent proficiency test on the DC-10 was on the 26th of April, 1989. The first officer of this flight was William Records, who was 48 years old. He was employed by United Airlines on the 25th of August, 1969. First Officer Records could fly both the DC-10 and the L-1011. In total, he obtained 20,000 flight hours with 655 hours on the DC-10. First Officer Records' recent proficiency test on the DC-10 was on the 8th of August 1988. The flight engineer or the second officer of this flight was Dudley Dvorak, who was 51 years old. He was employed by United Airlines on the 19th of May, 1986. In total, flight engineer Dvorak obtained 15,000 flight hours with 1,903 flight hours on the DC-10. His recent proficiency test on the DC-10 was on the 8th of June, 1989. Finally, there was a training check airman on board, but he was a passenger and this man was Dennis Fitch, who was 46 years old. He was employed by United Airlines on the 2nd of January 1968. 
In total, Airman Fitch obtained 23,000 flight hours with 2,987 flight hours on the DC-10. He also had 79 hours as captain on a DC-10 aircraft. In total, there were 285 passengers on board and 5 flight attendants. The flight. So United Airlines Flight 232 took off at 9 minutes past 2 p.m. They were at a cruising altitude of 37,000 feet or 11,277,6 meters. First officer Rekers was the pilot flying. At 16 minutes past 3 p.m., they heard a loud bang or some sort of explosion on the plane. This then led to serious vibrations and the shattering of the plane's frame. The pilots then realized that the tail-mounted engine or engine number 2 had failed. Captain Haynes then decided to call for an engine shutdown checklist. Flight engineer Dvorak realized that the plane's hydraulic systems and quantity gauges were at zero. That's a problem. First officer Rekers could not control the plane since it had entered into a right bank and of course with the hydraulic systems being at zero meaning that they could no longer control the plane. Captain Haynes then took control but he too was unsuccessful in controlling the plane. Therefore, Captain Haynes reduced the rust on engine number one and this actually made the plane level again. At 20 minutes past 3 p.m., the crew of United Flight 232 called the Minneapolis Air Route Traffic Control Center or ARTCC for short and they declared an emergency. The Minneapolis ARTCC suggested landing at Demont International Airport. At 22 minutes past 3 p.m., the Minneapolis Air Traffic Controller changed their minds and they told United Airlines Flight 232 to go to Seoul Gateway Airport, Seoul City, Iowa. The crew agreed to this. Airman Fitch was called into the cockpit and he was asked to perform a visual inspection of the wings. The airman, he came back and he told them that the inboard ailerons were slightly up and the spoilers were locked down meaning that there was some damage to the wings. Captain Haynes then instructed Airman Fitch to take control of the throttles. At 18 minutes to 4 p.m., Flight Engineer Dvorak was sent to inspect the stabilizers. He came back with the report that the left and right stabilizers were damaged. At 11 minutes before landing, and I quote, landing gear was extended by means of the alternate gear extension procedure, end quote. Nine miles or 14,5 kilometers away from the airport, the crew made visual contact. United Airlines Flight 232 was supposed to land on runway 31, which was 8,999 feet long or 2,742,9 meters long. United Flight 232 was on approach to a closed runway, which is runway 22, which was 6,600 feet or 2,011,7 meters long. The crew realized that they could not do a go-around to try and land on runway 31, so they decided to try and land on runway 22. Captain Haynes then received a high sink rate warning from the ground proximity warning system. So a sink rate is the rate in which an aircraft loses altitude. Therefore, a higher sink rate means that the aircraft is losing altitude quickly. The sink rate of United Flight 232 was 1,620 feet per minute or 493,7 meters per minute. Now just before touchdown, the right wing decided to drop. 
Also, 100 feet above the ground or 30,5 meters above the ground, the nose of the aeroplane decided to drop. Captain Haynes and First Officer Rickers decided to call for a reduced power on final approach. They could not use their flaps nor slats due to the damage of the wings. Airman Fish decided to use engines number 1 and 3 to control the plane and at 4 p.m. United Airlines Flight 232 lands at Seoul Gateway Airport, Seoul City, Iowa. The ground contact was as follows. The right wing's tips hit the ground first, followed by the right main landing gear. Everyone was happy that this plane finally landed until the DC-10 started to skid to the right side of the runway and it decided to go into a row. It finally came to a rest after crossing runway 17035. 112 people on board died and they passed on as follows. 35 people died due to smoke inhalation, a further 76 people died due to other reasons, and one person succumbed to the injuries one month after the crash. All the other people that survived sustained major, minor, or even no injuries at all. Also, the crew of United Flight 232 survived the crash. The Investigation so the National Transportation Safety Board or the NTSB was in charge of this investigation seeing as though it happened in the United States. The crash site and the overall wreckage information. So the residents of a rural area near Alta, Iowa told investigators about some debris that was found in their area. Now Alta, Iowa is about 77 miles or 123,919 kilometers away from Seoul City, Iowa. The debris that was found were actually parts from engine number two, such as the fan blades and the containment ring. A big problem. Furthermore, near Alta, Iowa, parts of the tail engine adapter assembly, such as the anti-ice pneumatic tube and three cowl hold open rods were found. Now, a cowl is a removable metal covering that houses the engine and sometimes a part of the fuselage of an aeroplane. Major problem. Meteorological information. So, so Gateway Airport had a ceiling with broken clouds, which was about 4,000 feet or 1,219,2 meters above the ground, and there was 15 mile or 24,14 kilometer visibility. Pilot error. There was no evidence whatsoever of pilot error, and the pilots were properly qualified and trained. Now, the meteorological information. The investigators decided to test the broken rotor disc from engine number two. Remember, engine number two is the one that failed first, which thus led to the crash. And the disc actually showed signs of fatigue. Major problem. The disc broke off, which thus severed hydraulic lines. That is why the crew could not control the plane. Also, the subsequent engine failure fractured engine number two's hydraulic system makes sense as to why the crew could not control their plane. So mechanical error. The investigators decided to ask the General Electric Aircraft Engines about fatigue within the actual rotor disc. And they said, and I quote, the hard alpha meteorological defect was not detected by ultrasonic or micro edge inspections, end quote. This means that the mechanics could not see nor reach the crack or like the fatigue crack rather that was in the rotor discs 
and the machines that they were using to try and do their job they could not also detect the crack that was found in the rotor disc and the size of the crack was 0.15 inches or 12.7 centimeters that is incredibly long if you're looking at it perspective wise so the probable cause of the crash it reads as follows and I quote, the National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the inadequate consideration given to human factor limitations in the inspection and quality control procedures used by United Airlines' engine overhaul facility, which resulted in the failure to detect a fatigue crack originating from a previously undetected meteorological defect located in a critical area of the Stage 1 fan disk that was manufactured by General Electric aircraft engines end quote basically what they are saying is that the crack could not be reached by the mechanics nor did the equipment detect the crack which existed a long time ago and the aircraft itself was not only being used in this flight but several others which thus led to further further stress onto the crack and this was just the final straw now the recommendation set out by the NTSB to the Federal Aviation Administration, they read as follows. Intensify research in the non-destructive inspection field to identify emerging technologies that can serve to simplify, automate or otherwise improve the reliability of the inspection process. Encourage research and development of backup flight control systems. Conduct system safety reviews of currently certificated aircraft as a result of the lessons learned from the July 19, 1989 Seoul City, Iowa DC-10 accident, which is this one that we're talking about now. Issue an Air Carrier Operations Bulletin for all Air Carrier Flight Crew Training Departments to review this accident scenario and reiterate the importance of time management in the preparation of the cabin for an impending emergency landing. And finally, issue an airworthiness directive to mandate service life limits or recurrent inspection requirements on GEAE or General Electric Aircraft Engines CF6-6 Engine Stage 1 Fan Discs, end quote. And to the Air Transport Association and the Aerospace Industries of America Incorporated, it reads as follows, encourage member operators to incorporate specific maintenance inspection techniques in their maintenance manuals and maintenance contracts that simplify, automate, and provide redundant or second set of eyes inspection oversight for critical part inspection, such as for rotating engine parts, end quote. And that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. For all my YouTube listeners, I have a question. I would really like to add some subtitles on like the videos because I understand that my accent can sometimes get in the way of you understanding what I am saying and I know that the YouTube captions, auto captions are really not the best. So please let me know in the comments if you'd really appreciate that. But for everyone, thank you so much for listening once again. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Also like and follow if you're listening to us on a podcast listening platform. I have been your host Ranaka Kai and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers!